Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Auto Sport Podcast. We ask if Sebastian Auger is now WRC title favourite and explain why Chris Meek is back with Toyota. Welcome to another mud and gravel edition of the Autosport Podcast as we return to the World Rally Championship to look back at a hugely significant Rally GB. Sebastian Auger's victory for M-Sport not only makes him the most successful driver in Rally GB history with five victories, one more than both Petter Solberg and Hannah Mikola, but also means he takes a big stride towards a possible six World Rally Championship. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look back at the big stories from Rally GB and also to look ahead at the final two events that will decide the World Rally Championship and even discuss the latest moves in the driver market is David Evans. Now, I was going to ask you how you enjoyed it, but the the opening of your event report seems to sum it up perfectly. You said it was agony and ecstasy, agony again, and a bit more ecstasy. Is that is that pretty much how it was for you? It, honestly, Ed, it was just the most remarkable roller coaster for for every team and almost every driver you know at, at some point everybody was up there uh, and as the as a result of the event ebbed and flowed you know it took the championship with it and honestly for for three three and a half days in wales we were on 10 talks and nobody knew uh, which way this thing was going to fall right until the final stage 
on the Great Orm where, you know, Sebastian Ogier and Yari Matilavala were absolutely head to head going into the final morning on Sunday. I think it was 14 and a half seconds separating the top four. Uh, it was, it was a quite remarkable event. It was everything that we'd hoped for. Um, and if I can go on a little bit, perhaps this is a good opportunity now just to, to tell you a, a little bit more. I'm sure you, you watch plenty of it while you were out in Japan, but you know, we had, fantastic weather it was absolutely epic it poured with rain on friday uh and we had fog mud the whole nine yards um and then that all went for the weekend and we had glorious sunshine we even had dust on saturday uh and sunday morning dawned you know i was in landudno for the um for the sunrise and it was epic it was absolutely beautiful so it was it was the most tremendous event it was everything that you know the organizers worked towards and worked for uh and and the competition was was sensational well it does appear to have had all the stories because not only did you have that great battle between sebastian Auger and yari mati latvala he finished first and second obviously Pekka Lappi was was third for toyota but obviously conspicuous by their absence from the top three were the the other championship contenders Thierry Neuville and, and oik tanak so this is it's, well, it's not quite turned the championship on its head, but it's dramatically changed it. Neville still leads 189 points. Sebastian Auger, 182 points. Then Oik Tanak, 168 points after his uh, his failure to, to... Well, you can't really say failure to finish anymore, but effectively it was a, a retirement, wasn't it? He was uh, classified well outside the points. They did pick up some, some power stage points. So this has really changed the championship situation and, and the... The man who's really suffered, Oik Tanak, is perhaps the, the most unfortunate given his performance. I, I think in, in fairness, Ed, I would say it actually has turned it on its head. Uh, you know, because Ogier was, really was the underdog coming, coming into the, into the, to the rally. And his performance, you know, and as, as well as the sort of failure that, um, that Tanak had and the, the problem that Thierry had when he slid into a ditch, it has completely turned it around. And suddenly, you know, Ogier has got the momentum that Tanak had after winning three rallies on the bounce. Um, you know, Seb's now got it and he's seven points behind going into the last two rallies where you'd have to say that, you know, he's got the advantage. He's won both of those events and he's got more experience of both of those events. But I think, you know, the real heartbreaker on, on Rally GB was, was Tanak. You know, the speed and the pace that he showed through the opening day was, was unbelievable. Both, you know, Neville, I remember I didn't spend long in the press office on this one. I was out and about at the end of stages, at the start of stages, talking to the drivers more uh, actually in, in the middle of the sort of atmosphere of the event. And it was fantastic because, you know, you get so much more from them. Uh, and Thierry said on a couple of occasions, you know, almost head in hands on, on the Friday, you know, we can't follow what he's doing. You know, and don't forget, it wasn't much of a running order thing because Tanak was one place behind him on the road. Uh, and... It was the same from, from Seb, you know, on, on the Friday night. Uh, he, he said, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it. Of course, Ogier had had his, he'd had his technical problem on the, on the Friday morning. And I think it was in Permagno when he spun, uh, and he was tr- too quick down, uh, downshifting. And I think the, the transmission selected two gears and broke some of the dogs in the box. So it, he lost first and second gear and, and ultimately lost about 30, 35 seconds. Um, so he'd had his issue. Um, if there was a car that, that could have touched the Toyota there uh, in Wales, you'd have to say it was the Fiesta because Elvin Evans was running right up there. He was the only guy really through Friday morning that could touch Tanak and was, I think, nine seconds behind him um, when they went back to service in D-side. Uh, and then, of course, last year's winner had the, he had the problem. It was a sensor problem, a fuel sensor problem, which 
which went completely wrong um, and the, the engine developed a terrible misfire coming out of D-side uh, and out of the refuel and uh, he would go no further on, on Friday, which again, you know, that was a heartbreaker for the local fans. But what we saw from Tanak was was a guy that was completely on top of his game and driving beautifully. You know, he built up 40 second lead or something and then he just sat on it and he, he could totally control the rally, which... You know, you don't very often see these days. Um, but, but Tanak is, is a guy who's matured massively this year. Uh, and he's got the car exactly where he wants it. He, in fairness, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, Ed, was the way that Toyota's turned that car around in the last 12 months. You know, when they went to Wales last year, the thing was nowhere. And they, they struggled with Latvala and, and guys like Lappy. Okay. Lappy didn't have much experience in the event, but they struggled. This year, they'd gone on on the back of four solid days testing where they'd really worked on the dampers and the chassis and the geometry and all of this stuff. And they'd found a way to get more grip out of that car in, in changeable conditions. And of course, the other big thing was Tanak himself. You know, he was the guy that, that could pick the car up and, and absolutely hurl it between the trees. Um, and he did that. And the scenes, you know, what we saw in Sweet Lamb when he retired, he, he, he had a, um, it was kind of a compression under braking, um, and there was something hit the underside of the car. It, it, completely unfortunate. You know, drivers talk a lot about having bad luck, but I would say this time it genuinely was bad luck. It split, it hit it with such force that it broke the sump guard, um, and dug the sump guard in and then broke the radiator. So a couple of corners later, he saw the water pressure going down and the, the t- water temperature going up, or whatever. He pulled over, um, got out of the car and actually lay on the ground. You know, he was, absolutely distraught um i've seen tanak struggle you know a few years ago when he lost um poland uh and sebastian augier famously picked him up and put him on his shoulders to try and chip cheer him up and raise his spirits you know tanak was down then but my god he was down in sweet lamb i've i saw him later that evening in in d-side and you know he was a broken man uh totally um and to come back uh, the next day and, and perform the way that he did was, was superb. But for sure, I think that was a pivotal moment in the championship for Tanak. You know, it's now, he's 21 points behind with two rallies to go. I think he's going to struggle to come back from there. Um, just simply because Ogier has such consistency and such ability to find a way through Spain and, and Australia. And crucially, um, for, for Ogier going into Spain, you know, the first day of Spain is on, is on gravel. If it's warm and dry in, in Tarragona, which it could be in a couple of weeks, he, the, the first car on the road is going to sweep the road. It's going to struggle. And that driver is Neville. Um, and once we get onto the tarmac, Ogier is, you know, he's certainly not in a league of his own anymore, but he's a massively competent driver who can get the best out of tires. He can take a softer compound tire than, than the others and he can still make it work. So for me, you know, everything is running in, in, in Seb's favour right now. You'd have to say for Tanner, you can't blame him for feeling it as bad as he did. He looked set for a, a fourth consecutive victory, didn't he? And what was he, something like 41 seconds clear of Auger at the time. He had the problem and, you know, he could have extended that pretty much at, at will by the sounds of it. But I guess what he has shown is even though he might not win the championship, probably won't win the championship this year, given that he's now very much, very much an outsider, he has this season conclusively proved he's a world championship caliber driver though hasn't he oh he has you know beyond any doubt he, for me he totally did that in argentina this year he still 
wasn't completely comfortable with the car. He didn't completely know the team, but he got in and he showed this astonishing speed in, in Argentina. And I remember writing my, my report at that point and saying, you know, all bets are off. You know, if this car holds, you know, on the rallies going forward, Portugal, Sardinia, this guy's so on form and he's found such a groove to be in that, you know, nobody can touch him. And unfortunately, in the next two events, they had failures. You know, was it, did, did Tanak hit something? Did the car break? It was a couple of those things with some underbody impacts. Um, and he, and he missed those two events where he could have, he could have easily won those two events and the championship could have been done by now because, you know, suddenly then he came to Finland, he won it. He came to Germany, he won it. Turkey won it. Okay. He won Turkey by default because the other guys had problems, but it's perfectly possible that Tanak could have sewn the championship up by now. And that's, Absolutely one of the talking points for this year is how quickly he has settled down into the team, the way he's brought the team around to him as well. You know, he talks now about my car, my team, uh, quite openly. And at the test in before Wales, it was his ideas, it was his drive that kind of bought these changes. For sure, you know, you've got great experience from Latvala and, and Yari Matti can bring so much experience. You know, it was a 17th Rally GB. Um, but it, it was kind of Tanak that's really put a rocket under these guys and has, has, has absolutely fired them up to, um, to turn this thing around. Uh, and he's right there with them. You know, he is absolutely one of the fastest drivers in the world right now. And coming back to Ogier, I mean, I guess he's shown again why he's won so many titles because he knew how important this event was. He, he called it a, a must win in an interview you did with him basically they just had to win it to have a chance of winning, of winning the title and although he was very much favorite going in this is this is his event effectively given the success he's had it's the mark of champions isn't it that they come through when the pressure is at its highest because he knew what needed to be done it was it was effectively all or nothing absolutely all or nothing for him you know and the the real thing that that amazes me every time you see it with Sebastian is his experience and his he is so completely unflappable. You know, Friday lunchtime, he'd shipped that 30, 35 seconds or whatever with the transmission problem. Uh, and it looked difficult for him. It, you know, Tanak was away just taking time out of everybody. And Sebastian didn't panic. He remained calm. They got the car fixed. Uh, he got through Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon, Friday evening, he said, right, now tomorrow we are flat out. We have got nothing to lose. And that was his day to turn that championship around. And I went to the first stage on Saturday morning in, in Meherin. And there's now a really famous part, which is a fast, fast downhill section between the, the wind, through the wind farm. And that you can watch for miles. It's coming in towards what they call Elvin's Corner now. And you stand on the hillside and you see them coming towards you. And they come through a, the final corner onto this long straight as a sort of, it's, you'd call it a K right. Um, and it stands right at the foot uh, of one of these wind farms. So what they've got is like a, a sort of a huge lay-by where the truck goes in to service the wind farms. Ogier, they all know about this, this sort of runoff, if you like, on the exit of this right-hander. Ogier came down there and the thing had nothing left. It was as fast as it would go. And I've never seen a car as sideways as that. Um, in, in that lay-by and he just gathered it. And you know, we're talking 100, 110 miles an hour here, uh, in, in the rain and in the mist and everything. And he picked it up and he just carried the car through. And I spoke to him later that day, uh, and asked him about that. And I said, you know, I couldn't hear a lift. Uh, and he said there was a tiny lift. He said, I lifted slightly just to rotate the car into the corner. And, you know, we're talking about sixth gear and him rotating the corner is just to create that instability in the car to turn it in uh, and, and 
drift through the corner. It was phenomenal, you know. We watched everybody else through that, and nobody came close to that level of commitment that that Ogier could show there. And it was absolutely breathtaking, and it's incredible, you know. We listen to drivers. You and I listen to drivers all the time saying, big push now, you know, we're going to go for it, blah, blah, blah. He got in that car at the start of that stage and he delivered on his promise. You know, there was nothing left. And we saw it. The, the, the second time that we saw that was in the final forest stage in Gwydia on Sunday morning. Latvala, we kind of, you know, him and Latvala were close on uh, on Sunday morning going for the win. But it was a very complicated sort of, sort of position because Ogier was leading. He couldn't push too hard in the power stage because he didn't want to lose 25 points trying to gain the extra five. Um, and, you know, Latvala had the team's championship to think about. You know, nobody really knew what people's tactics would be going into this stage, but the pair of them just went hell for leather. Uh, and Latvala beat him, which, you know, Seb was, is not used to. You know, he did four years with Yari Matti beating him consistently at Volkswagen. He didn't expect it. Uh, Ogier bounced back and took some time out of him in, in the, the first run of the Great Orm on the tarmac. Uh, and then it was all down really to this last forest stage through Gwydia. And honestly, once again, Ogier was just sublime, just brilliant. You know, if you watch one piece of onboard this year, watch that stage from Ogier. And he came out at the end and he said to me, you know, it was as close to perfection as I can get. And it was superb to see a driver like I say delivering on what he on what he said he was going to do and to get the reward at the end of the day you know he he came out with with I think he was with his second quickest in the power stage but he came out with the 25 points and he earned them I guess for him to have, have beaten Yeri Matti Latvala I know he hasn't had the the best of seasons but he knows Rally GB he's a very quick driver when everything's right so to go head to head with him and come out on top again you know speaks volumes doesn't it 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 does because you know so much about about this event uh, is all about experience you know the the level of grip changes you know we talked about it in the last podcast and nobody has more experience than Latvala at reading and understanding what the road's going to do uh, you know as the weather evolves and as the rain comes and, and he just knows what this rally's about um and it, again it was brilliant to see Yari Matti absolutely on the ragged edge and and giving it everything uh, it was for me, it was one of the events of the season. And who else was uh, catching your eye on this, this event? I know one uh, one son of a former WRC event winner uh, you were getting very excited about. Well, you're not the only one. Sounds like a, mm. a real talent, young uh, Kala Rovenpera. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, just having said all about that, you know, that it took Yari Matti 17 years or whatever to get this level of experience. Kale Rovenpera, 18 years old, comes along and absolutely dominates WRC2 to an extent that we really haven't seen this year. Uh, I guess, you know, you could say it's not such a big surprise. He's led the three previous WRC2 rounds coming into this. But, uh, you know, he was up against Pontus Tiedemann, uh, the guy, the reigning WRC2 champion, uh, and a guy who won the, the class last year. Um, he's his, he's his uh, Skoda driver alongside Robin Pera, but he was... He was embarrassed. He was absolutely embarrassed by by Calais, who who just drove like a you know a twenty eight year old, not not an eighteen year old. He came to Rally GB for the first time. It was his WRC debut last year, um, and he struggled. He struggled like hell. You know, he went off somewhere. He had problems, all of that, and then to come and do what he did on only his second start in Rally GB was was unbelievable. You know, it was absolutely fantastic and. 
the time, I think it was in Brennig on the Friday morning, he took 26 seconds in a sort of 19 mile stage, 26 seconds out of everybody. Um, and I said to him, you know, how did you do that? How did you find that time when everybody on the Friday morning is pushing? And he, he looked at me with this, you know, the grin of an 18 year old. And he just said two words, which were maximum attack. Uh, and it's, you know, for Finland, they must be rejoicing to hear this, this again, because, you know, it's Marco Allen all over again. You know, Calais' father, Harry, was a, as it is a great guy, lovely fella, you know, a good friend in the championship and everything, but Calais is a level above him. You know, Harry won one round, you know, he won Sweden in, I think, 2001 or something. Probably should have won a couple more, but he was, I can't see that he was at the level that his son is going to achieve. You know, I, people are already talking about Calais stays with Skoda for next year to do more WRC2. I think he's got actually his contract is two more years at Skoda, but I can't imagine that one of the, the factory teams isn't going to want to be buying him out of that Skoda contract in 12 months time because the guy's got massive speed. Um, and he's been driving rally cars for, for at least 10 years. Uh, and yeah, you know, he's a, a mass, you'd say a massive star of the future, but the future's now for him. Uh, it's it's happening right now. I guess the next thing we need to see from him is him winning the WRC2 title next year. Is that on the cards? Yeah, that it, it has to be. You know, I can't... But equally, you know, this is a mark of where Calais sits and, and the way he thinks. I said, you know, do you what do you want from your programme with Skoda next year? Do you want to come back and do the events that you've done this year to win the championship? And he said, no, 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 there's no point. I want to go and do events that I've never done before. So he doesn't really care about WRC2 titles. What he cares about is getting experience of the rallies that he hasn't done um, so that he can then go the following year and potentially having have, have done all of the championship and all of the rallies. That, for him, is much more, exper- is much more important to have the experience than, than a title because, you know, WRC2 doesn't really interest Cali Robin Perry. He's got his sights set on, on one thing. Uh, and that's becoming, you know, the first Finnish world champion since Marcus Grunholm a, a long time ago. Yeah, certainly a, a name to keep an eye out for. Uh, I mean, in general, obviously, you are the kind of cheerleader in chief for Rally GB. You're a huge, huge fan of it, and, and justifiably so. But it does seem this this is an event that's kind of recovering, or maybe recovered some of its its kind of lost verve, shall we say? It seems to be a re- becoming a really, really vibrant event again. I mean, it's always good, but. It just seems to be the changes for this year, just just getting better and better again. Absolutely, it's. I mean, they. I've got to be honest. I didn't really like the stages on on Friday and Sunday so much. You know, the, we, again, we talked about this before. The Brennig and the Klokina, they're not. I don't like them. They're too many junctions, too much stop start. But you know, when you get into Mid Wales, beautiful, the most amazing roads. You know, second only to New Zealand. Um, but. The event in itself has it's completely turned around from where it was five or six years ago. Uh, and the crowds, you know, we went into Landudno for this for this town centre stage. Thanks to the closed road le- legislation, we were able to go in there uh, and close the roads. First time ever in Britain we've had a world championship competing on our streets. Um, and I was there, as I say, from very early on the Sunday morning. And people just didn't stop coming in. Uh, and it was sort of 10 deep in places. Um, packed grandstands and the most 
fantastic atmosphere. It was absolutely brilliant. And the good thing was, you know, this wasn't a sort of Mickey Mouse thing. Okay, they did a donut around um, one of the traffic roundabouts uh, on one of the streets. But the actual approach speed coming off the Great Horn was really quick. And they did a couple of chicanes, but the cars were moving. You know, they weren't just going around traffic cones. They were carrying a lot of speed and there was real drama um, in there. And you totally have to take your, your hat off to the likes of Ben Taylor and Andrew Kellett and Ian Campbell, these guys at the top of the of the chain of command of the organizers because they have worked nonstop. You know, I know that the work that they've put in for 12 months to get this legislation through, uh, through Cardiff, through the government in Wales, um, and how much they've put in, you know, on Saturday night, the road closed in Landerno at, I think two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And they worked and, you know, up until that point, you couldn't put anything down on the road. And overnight, they worked through the night to turn it into the final stage of the world, you know, our round of the world championship. And there was, you know, there was hundreds of meters of concrete to go down. There was grandstands to go up. It was an exceptional effort. And to see the work that these guys are putting in, you know, it's no surprise that we have become, you know, I would say, in my opinion, one of the, and this, you know, I'm not saying this because it's our round, but we are one of the, probably the top three rounds of the world championship right now. And obviously the good thing about the closed roads legislation, it does make it at a stage like this a lot more discoverable for people, doesn't it? Because you, it's quite hard to run across rallying unless you're hanging around in a forest in, uh, in mid Wales or something, which I don't think great many people do by chance, but actually putting it into land, I don't know, it really makes it something people can literally stumble upon and suddenly be be hooked on on rallying. It, exactly right. You know, I was there on on Sunday morning when, after the, the or just before the first run of the stage, I saw people coming out of the guest houses on the seafront, and they were completely confused. You know, they couldn't go across the road for, to walk onto the promenade because the whole thing was there. And you know, so many of these people didn't see it as a hindrance. They kind of hung around for a bit. And honestly, Ed, you know, you, I have never seen a reaction like I saw in, in Landedno when people were seeing the cars coming through the streets. You know, I watched the onboard and I seen the telemetry and, and Neville, the first car through, took off on the jump on the promenade at 103 miles an hour. And that, you know, that's a 30 mile an hour zone on the seafront in Landedno. And the guy was doing that. And honestly, people were just astonished and you could guarantee you know we bought ourselves 10 20 i don't know how many thousand fans by doing that and it completely worked it was superb well, this is motorsports big challenge isn't it to really really get out there to, to new fans and, and get people hooked because it doesn't it doesn't need many to be hooked by an individual day like this you keep doing it around the world you'll uh you build up your fan base which is exactly what what needs to be to be happening you, you will i mean the one thing you know the one thing i would say is when we first found out about this stage you know there were a number of drivers of course they tried to make this the power stage the great ormland did no stage they tried to make it the, the the stage where you'd win five points and I can understand the driver's reluctance to do that and the FIA's reluctance because the power stage has to reflect the nature of the event itself. So, okay, we didn't go with that, but there were a few drivers who saw this as a Mickey Mouse thing and, you know, the, perhaps the event trying to cash in on, on them performing and stuff. I could understand that, but it was complete nonsense because they had a really top draw stage on the Great Orm, which is an incredible piece of tarmac that runs right around the sort of headland. It's a sort of Welsh Corsica, if you like. And then you came into the town for maybe half a mile or something. So it was, it was an exercise. You know, the drivers weren't convinced to begin with. Um, but by the end of it, they totally got it. 
that's exactly what needs to be happening, doesn't it? And you know, you can you can be kind of purist about it or whatever, but you need to you need to showcase rallying to people because it is by definition something you have to be very motivated to to go and see. So yeah, no, they should be all thoroughly in favour of that. It's good uh, good for the future of rallying, if if nothing else. Should we uh, should we hear from Sebastian Auger? You had a chat to him after his victory and uh, have a little bit of an interview with him. So uh, let's hear what he had to say. Sebastian, you have won your fifth Rally GB. You've become the most successful driver in the history of Britain's Round of the World Championship. How does it feel? It feels great, obviously. Um, I mean, on top of this, uh, that's a great news, of course. I'm, I'm very proud to, to have won this rally fifth time, especially... When we know how, how challenging it is Rally GB and how tough uh, is to 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 stay on the road and don't do mistakes in this condition, uh, I think now I'm on uh, what is it like six podium in a row and fifth victory in yep. six, six years, which of course is uh, is making me very happy. Uh, but uh, on top of that, it's uh, also another uh, a good step for the championship and. Uh, put us uh, right back where we want to be for the for the fight so it's uh, for sure a great a great weekend physically this has been one of the toughest i mean you arrived so late uh, back into service on saturday night really early this morning like 4 a.m or something how hard has it been for you yeah well i think more or less every year this it is like this um for sure sometimes we're thinking why is this rules about the average speed on road section because we could make it so much shorter like or so much we could easily win half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening and then it would be a bit more acceptable timing but that's how it is you know i mean uh, we don't complain about it it's same for everyone and at least if uh, how can I say? The old generation of drivers is reading or watching. Uh, you know, they would say we were doing even more, more than that. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's okay. We accept it for sure. This these weeks are very intense, and uh, when we come back home on the Monday, uh, it's always I need a minimum a day or two to to come back a little bit to my uh, normal form. Because of course, when the uh, adrenaline and the tension is gone, then you you feel quite tired. But uh, you know, it's it's worth it, especially. Uh, with the emotion we had this weekend, uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Like we started uh, pretty low, with uh, very early on in the race uh, some trouble, and in this moment it was not looking great for us for for this weekend. But uh, like I say, at this time I never gave up. I say uh, whatever happened already, I have to look forward and do the best we uh, still have in my hands. And I was definitely hoping to fight back for the podium and that we that we did uh, and then uh, we had uh, of course the benefit of, uh, of the trouble of Hoyt uh, which like I said already uh, gave me like a very strange emotion in the moment because I, I, I could not really enjoy it honestly because he was deserving better he was doing a fantastic job this weekend but at the end of the day that's rally and we we kind of gave him the, the victory in Turkey and uh, he gave us back here, <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's uh, that's all that's all it is. But what about this incredible championship? You know, it's coming, it's going, it's ebbing, it's flowing. What what do we expect next? Yeah, well, I don't know, but uh, it looks like uh, we are up to a fight for until the end, uh, and uh, we all want that. Uh, I think uh, the fans, uh, you guys, the media, and then for sure, for us inside, it's. It's nice to, to be part of it um, and, yeah, looking forward for the two last rally now. Who, who's favourite, do you think, now? I mean, you're seven points behind. 
Uh, for sure. I mean, uh, as long as you have the point, it's always better to have them in a the pocket than uh, than being back. But seven behind when there is still two rallies where starting order should play a role. Uh, you know, it's not that bad. For Oit, uh, he need a little bit of something now. I mean, how many points is behind Cherry? 21, so it's not that much. I mean, uh, when we've seen what happened the last three rallies, you know, uh, nothing is sure anymore. And it can go very quick from one way to another. So, um, you know, when we give so much and uh, pushing so hard for, for this, you know, small small details can make difference. And, and for sure luck as well, uh, like... Uh, like I say, recently I had quite a lot of hard luck, uh, but uh, this weekend uh, it started again with a bit of bad luck on Friday, but then, uh, then you know, it suddenly turned again and then went a bit my direction again. So, for sure, a uh, lot of details going to make the difference. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward for more, more fights like, like we had also with Yari now. It was a fantastic battle until the end. I was... I was sure it would be tough to be in front, to stay in front, uh, because we've seen the Toyota super strong this weekend, and I've seen a very determined uh, Yari also uh, to, to fight for this victory, and uh, he was starting very well the day. After that, I had no other option than to react, and uh, I was definitely hoping to be to make something on the tarmac section, uh, what we did, but it was not enough. We also needed to be strong on the last pass in the forest, and. Uh, I think this stage was uh, definitely one of the best. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but what that I've done. I mean, when I, at least, uh, like I said to Julian Porter, now it was. I don't. I don't want to say it was perfection, but it close to my perfection. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I said Julian when I crossed the finish line, before to see the time, I say honestly, whatever looks the time, I cannot do more. And uh, and of course it was. Uh, a good news to see that the time was uh, also following the feeling and that we were a little bit faster than Yari. Well, Ogier now, he, he almost feels like he's the, the, the championship favourite, but of course it is, it is Thierry Neuville who, who leads. We've got Spain and Australia to come. There's a... Uh, well, see, I've just got off the plane from Japan, so suddenly my maths isn't good. Yes, a seven-point lead. Uh, Jerry Neville has a quick bit of 189 minus 182 addition. Uh, well, subtraction for me there. So I'm uh, I'm doing well. But it does feel like Ogier's favourite, but clearly... Neville has to be considered favourite because he is ahead, and you know this. This is the best chance he's ever had to to win the title he covets, isn't it? Absolutely, that's the point. You know, we can get carried away, and and you know, clearly, I'm getting carried away with Ogier's chances. But as Sebastian said there himself, you know, it's better to have the points in your pocket, and that's exactly what Thierry's got. Um, but as I as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the issues that Thierry will find in Spain if it's dry, he'll struggle. Um, first on the road in Spain. If he's first on the road going into Australia, for sure, he will massively struggle on the Friday because it's the middle of a, of an Australian New South Wales summer. It'll be mid 30 degrees and it will be boiling and the roads will be completely covered with gravel. You know, they will lose an awful lot of time, whoever's first on the road. And this, I have to say, this was one of Sebastian Ogier's massive concerns when we talked, when we first took this regulation of turning the, of running the championship, um, the start order in championship order. Ogier said, you know, what do we do if we come to Australia and, and, you know, the, the guy who's leading the championship is so heavily penalized potentially. Well, this year it's going to happen. Um, and we could see the championship decided against Thierry because of the, of the running order in Australia. It's, it, I mean, that's probably quite dramatic because obviously it's only on the Friday that Neville will run first on the road, but still it's a massive hindrance for him. Um, but you know, once again, it was 
a disappointment from from Thierry and you'd have to say from the Hyundai team um, in in Rally GB. It's n- it's an event they've never shine shone on really at all, and they really struggled again this year. You see, the likes of of Mickelson was nowhere. Absolutely nowhere on Friday and Padden as well really struggled and neither of them had any answer. You know, they talked about having no feeling from the car, no confidence in the car. Um, and then Mickelson ran first on the road on Saturday and he was quickest. You know, when the grip was there for the I-20, he could do it. Uh, cause grip, you know, as we know, it gives the driver confidence to push and he, once he'd got that, he could go. Um, but uh, Thierry again was, the, was the best of the, of the Hyundai drivers, but, you know, still he he struggled and he lost all of the time with with a spin, uh, not with a spin, with with yeah, a spin running wide and dropping the the rear of the car into a ditch uh, and relying on the spectators to heave him out. Um, and from from really from that point onwards for the rest of that day, uh, that was the the Saturday Saturday morning. He struggled, really struggled for motivation, um, and then he benefited massively on on Sunday, obviously. Um, he got past Padden Neville, which of course he would have done anyway, because High and I would have pulled them over. But then Mads Osberg had a, had a spin in the, the last forest stage, which, which gifted him this fifth place that really reflected very nicely. Or in fairness, it didn't reflect his, his performance. You know, he, he, he'd struggled so much that, you know, he was looking at the, the bottom end of the top 10, really. Uh, so maybe that Osberg spinning Goodyear on Sunday afternoon, that could decide the championship. Um, but I, I kind of struggle to see, you know, Thierry's done Spain seven times. Ogier's done it 10 times. He's done Australia five times. Ogier's done it seven times. You know, Seb's won, he's won Spain three times. Thierry's never won there. Um, and same in, in, in Australia, you know, Seb's outscored him with wins three nil. Uh, so everything is, is kind of looking in, in Ogier's direction here. And it's, it is hard. Uh, and I, I would feel quite badly because Thierry has worked for this championship. You know, he's, he's been through some real low points in his career with, with Hyundai and the two of them, the, the team and him have worked so well together. Um, and, you know, we saw great pace from him in Sardinia when he won there, when he won in, in Portugal this year. Uh, and of course, you know, his Sweden win at the start of the year was, was exceptional. Really, you know, totally deserving winner. And it just seems at the minute that Hyundai's dropped off a little bit and they really need to find something for that, for that first day in, in Spain, um, to, to make sure he's right there. And when it turns into a tarmac event on the Saturday and Sunday so that he can, absolutely do something to defend against uh, against Ogier. There have been a few questions in the past in Neville about the kind of the mental strength etc and I guess you could argue in Rally GB even though it's always going to be a uh, it's going to be a difficult event he, he obviously could have got a slightly stronger result and unlimited the losses do you think that's going to come into it you know because if if he's going to end up with you know, know being that the sort of second favourite even though he's leading that's that's a classic situation for a for a driver to to kind of almost crack under under that pressure isn't it absolutely but i think you know actually gb showed his developing mental strength because a couple of years ago he would have completely given up and he would have finished 10th or he would have put it off the road uh and for sure you know now we are seeing thierry as a stronger driver um you know turkey was was so difficult for him uh with his technical problems and for ogier as well but you know in germany he finished second um in, in Finland, he was, he was down the order. I think he was ninth or something, struggled there, but he does have the ability not to go down anymore and, and to kind of pick himself up. And we, he's going to need that in Spain. 
uh, he, he really is because um, to go out there first on the road is, is going to be a big ask if it's dry. Um, but, you know, he's got massive self-confidence now, Thierry. That's perhaps one thing he's never really struggled with, but he's absolutely backing it up now. Um, and, yeah, and, he, and there's no doubt, you know, he's back to bossing that team uh, as well. You know, for a while we saw Hayden Padden was was right there in 2016, and then they employed Andreas Mickelson, who was, you know, supersonic in the last couple of events last year. And Mickelson struggled um, with the car this year and, and Thierry's just come through. Uh, and for me, he now does have the, the mental strength, uh, to, to deal with this whole championship thing. Well, it's going to make for a, a fantastic, uh, last couple of rounds. Obviously, Rally Spain at the end of the month, October 25th to 28th. And then Rally Australia, the decider, 15th of November to the 18th. Let's look a little bit ahead to next year. We talked a bit about the the driver market situation in the the previous WRC podcast, of course, which talked about Sebastian Ogier's return to Citroen. But it does seem like there's quite a bit of activity around Rally GB, and there's at least one significant move for, for Toyota coming. We think absolutely with with Chris Meek coming back to uh, to Toyota. We talked about this. Uh, just after Turkey in, in Autosport and Motorsport News. And there was definitely, you know, there was good contact there. And since then, uh, Meek's been out to, to Finland to, to visit the team, to meet the team. Uh, of course, you know, he knows the team. He knows parts of the team very well. He had a serious negotiations with Tommy Mackinnon in 2015 and came very close to signing for Toyota, um, but instead went to Citroen. Um, and yeah, the, the understanding is that he's done his deal uh, and he'll be back and he'll be, testing a Yaris in time for, for Monte Carlo. That's a pretty strong lineup Toyota's going to have next year, of course. Tanak stays on, uh, Lavala should stay on, and then Esapekalapi looks like he's off to uh, Citroen, as we discussed. But that's uh, that, that's a good lineup for them. It's it's a massively strong lineup, but you've got to say it's a pretty combustible one as well, isn't it, if we're, if we're honest? Um, you know, Tanak is is not somebody who who who's happy to finish second. No driver's happy to finish second, but Tanak is not a guy that's going to give give much uh, at all. And and Meek and him are cut from the same cloth. You know, they are the ultimate competitors. I guess Lavala is you know he's a guy coming to into the twilight of his career. So perhaps you know he's going to be the the one that um, is is the third driver, the sacrificial lamb or whatever. If it, if if we need one, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. They are, you know, you'd go to an event like Sweden or Portugal or Finland and you've got three guys who could easily finish in the top three, you know, they could do the podium. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very strong lineup. I think, you know, Meek's pace on, on tarmac as well. You know, we've seen him exceptionally quick in Monte. We've seen him, you know, should have been winning Corsica a couple of years ago. Uh, and of course, Tanak has won Germany. Um, so, you know, they have got a really strong lineup for next year. So what's what's Meek being brought in by Toyota for? I mean, it sounds like a stupid question. We know he's very quick and he can win events. Tanak's their guy who has shown this year he can win championships. Meek, there's no doubt he can win rallies. Maybe there's question marks over over championship form. So is it just that Tommy Mackinnon just wants the quickest drivers he can he can get? Or is, is there some reason why they feel like having Meek in the and the team will will strengthen it beyond just the prodigious base he brings. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think, you know, Tommy was always a massively motivated driver who wanted stage wins, wanted wins. You know, if you look at his time in the championship against someone like Colin McRae, you know, him and Colin, they they either won the rally or they finished way down the order. You know, not very often did Tommy or Colin finish second um, or third. Uh, and that's that's kind of the guy that... that that's the kind of guy that Tommy likes, and that's that's Chris to a T. Um, 
having said that, you know, I haven't spoken to Chris Meek for for months now since the whole Citroen thing happened. Um, but from what I understand from talking to people around his circle and from talking to, to, to people in the know, he's spent the last few months at home. He's relaxed. He's been with his family. He's done his training. He's been on his bike in the mountains. And people are saying that, you know, he's coming back as a, as a different person, not a completely different person, but, you know, as a much more relaxed, you know, and he needs to be more relaxed because at Citroen, you always had the feeling it was on the edge. You know, it, I remember vividly the start, the end of Corsica last year when he had led the event and he had looked so much like he was going to win it. And of course, the previous round in Mexico, he'd won that. Uh, and I remember talking to somebody and saying, you know, Chris Meek is almost unsackable now. You know, he you could never imagine him being sacked because he looked so strong. He looked like the the switch had flicked and he was there. And then, of course, a handful of rallies later and he was benched for Poland, I think it was, uh, and they brought Mickelson in. Um, and, it, you know, it just it didn't make sense. I always felt with him at Citroen that there was you were kind of just not far from the next sort of disaster. I just never felt it fitted. And I just hope, and I do think, you know, working with someone like Mackin, and I think that it will fit with, with Chris. And if he's got a slightly different attitude that, you know, he's not going to try and win every rally on every corner, um, you know, we could see some real pace and some real consistency finally from him. Because there is no doubt, you know, <laughs> this guy is one of the fastest rally drivers in the world right now. There's no doubt. And, and, because of that, he absolutely deserves to be in the championship. And we've missed him. You know, we've missed him. Rally GB wasn't the same without thinking, you know, where's Chris? What can Chris do? There was always a hope with Chris, and there's always a story with him. You know, he's he's a massively charismatic kind of guy. Uh, and we need him back in the sport. Um, and it is. It's it's fantastic to uh, to see him coming back. There's always a bit of a feeling with Citroen that he was having to kind of force the issue. I mean, setting aside the fact that Citroen wasn't always the the best car in that period, but kind of that having to prove himself and justify himself and like be absolutely at the maximum to get there. Do you think that maybe with what's happened with Citroen, he's had that time away? Maybe he just does come back just as someone with who. He, you know, knows what he's capable of. Sometimes you see drivers if they don't feel like they have to prove something and they just do what they do. He might just see this as a as a kind of bonus shot and be all the better for it because he just thinks I'm I'm just going to drive and 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 be Chris Meek and not have to kind of prove to to anyone that he he's a guy who can lead a team to a championship. That's exactly it. You know, he's he's now got nothing to lose, has he? Really? I mean, let's let's be honest. You know, he's. He had his chance at Citroen, it went, and I'm sure there was part of him that thought that was it. You know, he was never coming back. He's coming back. He's got this chance again. And, he, you know, if we can see Chris relaxed and, as you say, just, just driving, you know, perfectly naturally without any of the pressure. You know, it was a big deal for me because at Citroen, he was the lead driver. Everything, everybody was turning and looking at him all the time. Um, and while he's he's been around the sport for a long time, he doesn't have a massive amount of experience in WRC. Um, and... So now, you know, there's, there's people around him, you know, Yari Matty, massive, nobody has more experience in the championship than him. And Tanak, you know, somebody that's been there as long as Chris. And he will come into a, a team with quite a different, uh, environment. Certainly everybody, you know, they'll, they'll give, you know, pay heed to what he says and everything, but not everybody will be hanging on every word and turning to him for every piece of advice and stuff. And hopefully that slightly different, atmosphere can can work for him and elsewhere in the driver market we've mentioned that uh lappy to citroen move any any movement on the the whole m sport 
lineup side? I think we we have to wait now. M Sport, you know, there's there's potential for. We know for sure they've got Timo Sunanen under contract. There's the other guys in around the fringes around the periphery are the, the likes of Craig Breen, Alvin Evans, Mads Osberg, even you know an outside shot, someone like Pontus Tiedemann. Uh, there's there's guys around. Um, but I think once we've got um, meat confirmed, Lappy confirmed, uh, and and Citroen's plans absolutely confirmed, we un- we understand it's highly likely they'll only run two cars. Um, but until we know that for sure that they're not going to run a third car, um, then I think you know M Sport will have to wait, and and uh, it'll take perhaps a week or so. I mean, in fairness, you know, once everybody else has settled down. Malcolm Wilson can take his time and, and figure out what's the best strategy because, you know, for sure it's going to be difficult for them to replicate the sort of results that, that we've seen from Sebastian this year without um, without a five-time world champion behind the wheel. Speaking of Lappy, is there a little bit of disappointment with how he's how he's performed this year? He obviously had this, the part season with Toyota last year. He won the, won the well, Rally Finland, I was going to say Thousand Lakes, but uh, no, let's call it a Thousand Lakes. He won there. So he, he seems to have been kind of certainly uh, he hasn't shown certainly from the range I'm watching it at probably not obviously not quite as much detail as you he hasn't quite shown that that stunning speed I'd have expected him to at least pick up an event win along the way given the car under him's pretty good yeah no I think I mean it's it's fair to 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 look at it and 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 not being critical of you here, Ed, but, you know, superficially, you'd look at the championship and you'd say, you know, what's the guy done all year? But, you know, he was third in Germany, third in Sardinia, and he certainly struggled a bit at the start of the year uh, with the car, with the team, with everything. Uh, but don't forget, you know, this was his first full year in the championship. There were still events this year that he hadn't done. Um, and for me, you know, he's he wanted a year of experience. He wanted to kind of get further his his feet further under the table and he's done that I think you know you're probably right he should have shown more speed there were some silly accidents um that we saw from from him uh some silly moments but I think he's done a solid job so far this year um and he's you know he's not far away in the championship he's his pace was there again GB was an event that he really struggles with um you know it's a great leveler because because of this changing grip this hard to read condition these hard to read conditions and everything but he was there, you know, he set some quickest times, uh, fastest through the LC stage on Sunday morning was, was tremendous uh, and a real achievement for him. So I think, you know, he's he's not the kind of guy to go at it like a bull in a china shop. I think he'll get to he'll get to um to Citra next year, he'll learn from from Augier and we'll see we'll see more pace from him next year. But I can totally understand, you know, you look at it and you think, Yeah, you know, he, he won Thousand Lakes last year, you know, where's he been this year? Um he, you know, it's. I can understand that, but I think he's he's got more speed to come, and I think he he definitely deserves his place. But probably you could say he's had a disappointing year. That this is obviously his cue now to go and win Spain and, and Australia. <laughs> exactly, it? exactly. That's what what often happens. Um, well, let's just finish off with predictions. I like to put you on the spot. Well, I think Sebastian Auger is going to win the tam- championship because you know what my rule is about just tipping Sebastian's to to win. But it, it does feel like it it's it's going his way, even though. There is an awful lot of work to do over the over the last two events. There, there is, you know, there's there's no doubt about that. There is plenty of work to do, and you know, there is there's there's still there's absolutely not a question mark over the Fiesta's engine and stuff. But there's some they had some parts that they wanted to bring um, to GB, some performance gains they couldn't bring them there. 
Uh, are they going to bring them to Spain? You know, this, that kind of thing could make a real difference, um, psychologically as well as in terms of horsepower. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But, you know, for me, you'd have to say that Ogier has got the momentum now. Um, it didn't look like it on Friday morning and on Rally GB. Um, but things have turned around once again, but equally. As Seb himself said, you know, this championship just keeps turning uh, and it is really difficult to call. You know, who's to say that Sebastian and Thierry don't have a problem in Spain and then suddenly Tanak's right back into it with another win. You know, there's no doubting his pace and the car and everything. Uh, so I feel it's going in Ogier's direction. But until we get to Australia uh, and Sunday afternoon in Australia, we're, we're not going to know for sure. Well, that's always a sign of a high-quality championship. Of course, you can follow all the coverage on autosport.com. Lots of news uh, stories there from uh, from David Evans. And also check our Plus subscriber area. Loads of in-depth features on the whole world of motorsport, WRC, Formula One, IndyCar, sports cars, the lot. Check out Autosport magazine out on Thursday, which will have David's in-depth report of Rally GB. And please check out Sister Titles, F1 Racing magazine, out monthly and motorsport.com and please try out the pit stop betting app if you fancy a bit of a flutter on motorsport thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.